as I said, we're glad you're here on Father's Day. I don't know how much you know about the history of Father's Day in our country, but the first actual formal Father's Day was celebrated on June the 19th in 1910. So we're talking about, what, 109 years ago. And uh, by the way, that was celebrated in Spokane, Washington. A lady by the name of Sonora Lewis, Sonora Louise Smart Dodd. Four names there. That's plenty, isn't it? Uh, she had uh, been in church on Mother's Day. And by the way, Mother's Day had just become uh, a national event at that time. And she was so impressed by the Mother's Day service that um, she wanted to reach out in a blessing to her father. She wanted to honor him. He was a Civil War veteran by the name of William Jackson Smart, and he had raised six children by himself after his wife died in childbirth. So um, his daughter wanted to see that he was honored. So she drew up a petition and started gaining support across the country. The YMCA actually got behind her petition and um, was responsible to get it nationwide and we began to celebrate Father's Day but it didn't become an actual legal event until 1972 when President Nixon established Father's Day as a permanent national observance under a proclamation 4127 and he stated and I quote it has long been our national custom to observe each year one special day one special Sunday in honor of America's fathers. And from this year forward, by joint resolution of Congress approved on April the 24th, 1972, that custom carries the weight of the law. Now, therefore, I, Richard Nixon, President of the United States of America, do hereby request that June the 18th be observed as Father's Day. That was on that year. And, of course, this is the 16th. It's all around that uh, this particular Sunday that we uh, celebrate each year, Father's Day. And we're happy to do that today. You know, uh, Father's Day, the honoring of fathers is much more than just saying uh, a big high five to daddies. We've got a lot of daddies in America that aren't really fathers. And uh, you can be a father without having a biological child. According to Webster's definition, a father is one who nourishes, protects, and uplifts. And if there's anything that we need in America right now, it's men who will step up to the plate and be fathers, not only to their biological children, but also men who will reach out to others because we have a real problem in our nation right now with fatherlessness. We have a lot of children who do not have fathers, at least present fathers. They call them absentee fathers. And so I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge all the men in the house, even the young men, to set your heart and your commitment from this day forward to be someday, if you're not already, a good father. 
And so the title of my message is A Man of God, because I believe that to really be a genuinely good father, you need to be a man of God. Now, you might respond by that and say, Preacher, are you trying to tell me that there are no good fathers who aren't Christians? No, that's not what I'm saying. I will say this, however, that any father, even if he's not a Christian, if he is a good father, he is following some of the principles of this book. Whether, whether he professes Christianity or not, it, it, it's here. He's following some of the principles. You can't be a good father without following some of the main principles of God's Word. And uh, there's a scripture that says, we have not many fathers. Talks about a lot of, a lot of dads, a lot of men who, who help to make babies, but, but few real fathers. And I think a real good father must first of all, or needs to be first of all, a real man of God. So I want to talk to you about a man of God. My text today is found in 1 Samuel in your Old Testament, chapter 9 and verse 6. And he said to him, look now, there is in this city a man of God. Notice that phrase, there is in this city a man of God. And he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go over there, or go there, Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. There's a story behind this particular text. And let me take a few minutes. Uh, a lot of you are probably familiar with it. Uh, some of you may not be familiar with it. But in Israel, there was a man by the name of Kish. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And um, he, he was doing quite well in that agrarian society. And uh, he had a lot of animals. And among his livestock were donkeys. And somebody had left the gate open and his donkeys had gotten away. And uh, he was looking for them, couldn't find them, didn't want to leave the farm because he had too much work to do. So he called his son Saul and said, Saul, I want you to go look for the donkeys. And he said, I'll send one of the servants with you so you won't be by yourself. And I want you to go see if you can find daddy's uh, donkeys and bring them back. This was valuable assets to his farm at that time. So they started on their journey, and, and uh, they traveled a long ways. In fact, they passed through Mount Ephraim and couldn't find them there. They passed on through the land of Shalajar, and they couldn't find them there. They passed on to the land of Shilom, and they couldn't find them there. And then they continued to pass on through the whole tribe of the Benjaminites, and they couldn't find them there. And finally, they came to a little city called Zuf. They were so far away by now, and it had taken so long until Saul said to his servant, you know, we, we might as well just give up. In fact, we should turn around and go back home now, because by this time, my dad is not worried about donkeys. He's worried about you and me. So let's, let's, just, let's just call it a loss, cut our losses, and go home. But the servant said to Saul, wait a minute, Zuff, he said, we're right near this little city, Zuff, said, there, some, something rings a bell about, ah, oh, he said, I know what it is, there's a man of God in that city, I've heard about him, there is a man of God in that city, so why don't we do this? 
why don't we at least go on into Zuff, see if we can find the man of God, and perhaps the man of God will be able to help us. Because this man of God is also known as a prophet. And so they did. They went on into Zuff, and sure enough, the man of God was at home, and they went up to his door, knocked, and he entertained them, and and they told him their situation. The man of God solved the problem for them, told them exactly where it was. And in addition to that, the man of God prophesied over Saul that he would be the first king of Israel. So um, an interesting little story. But I want you to notice that, that little phrase that I read in my text, there is in this city a man of God. I, I hope that in this city where you and I live, that there's a man of God. In fact, I hope there are many men of God. I believe there are. We're blessed. Amen. In fact, I see men of God in this room, and I thank God for all of you. But it's not the case everywhere. Let me ask you today, if somebody were to say, would I, would I ask on your job, is there a man of God that works here? Do you have that reputation? Is that known about you? What about in your family? Is there a man of God in your family, in your household? A man of God. We need men of God more today than we've ever needed them in this nation of ours. We need men of God. So I'm going to talk to you about men of God. I'm going to there, there are a lot of points that I could make. I, a lot of, I, you could go into books like First and Second Timothy and some of the other writings of the Apostle Paul and, and find long list of, of men and good attributes and characteristics that, um, that uh, make them who they are in the Lord. But I'm, I'm just going to summarize and take three today. There are obviously more in the Bible, and I would encourage you to study the Word and find out what they are. But I want to point out three things that I think is, are so important to helping you to be identified as a man of God or to help you become a man of God if you aren't already. Uh, you, you, when we start talking about a man of God, it might be harder to find a man of God than you think. You remember Abraham in the Old Testament? When the, God spoke to Abraham because Abraham was known as a friend of God. God said, I'm not going to do anything without talking it over with Abraham. And God was about to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he spoke with Abraham and he told him what he was going to do. And Abraham said to him, wait a minute, wait a minute, said, uh, perhaps we could spare that city. What if, if, there are 50, if there are 50 righteous men in that city, would you, would you spare the city? And the angel said, yeah, absolutely, we'd spare it for 50. And he said, what about 40? And he said, yeah, 40. What about 30? Oh, sure, for 30. And, uh, and Abraham just keeps coming down. This may be where Abraham first got known as a Jew. He, he, keeps, he, keeps, he keeps negotiating. And he gets down to 20. He gets all the way down to 10. And, and the angel of the Lord said, yes, if you could find 10 righteous men in that city, God would spare the city. Did you know that God could not find 10 righteous men in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? And so God destroyed that city. 
Now, for Abraham's sake, God sent his angel into Sodom and Gomorrah to rescue Abraham's nephew and his family. And so his name was Lot. And so Lot and his family were led out. They had gotten so accustomed to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and so, so planted in the city that the angels literally had to take them by the hand and pull them, say, come on, we got to get out of here. God's about to destroy this city. And whatever you do, don't look back. God wants you to get out of here. God's about to open uh, the windows of heaven and pour fire out and destroy these wicked, ungodly cities. And by the way, they were very, very, very wicked cities. And of course, as they go out, those of you who know the story, Lot's wife looked back and became a pillow of salt. And so she lost her life there, and, and um, Lot and his daughters, and um, they, they're the ones that escaped. Um, I remember we, we were watching the screen a while ago at all these cute little things that the kids were saying, and, and uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I'm sure you did too. And it reminded me of a story I heard years ago a Sunday school teacher was teaching that story about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah to her little beginner class. And she told, she said, uh, Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillow of salt. The little boy raised his hand. And the teacher said, yeah, Johnny, what is it? She sa he said, that's nothing. Said, my mama was driving down the road the other day. She looked back and turned into a telephone pole. <laughs> But a man of God may not be as easy to find everywhere as you might think that it is. So let's look at three what I think are very important things to becoming a man of God. Number one, a man of God needs to be a man of prayer. A man of prayer. Hear me this morning, men, that there is nothing you can do more important in the life of your family than to be a man of prayer. I'm talking about having a relationship with God where you can talk to God in prayer. That is valuable to your family. It is so important to your family. By the way, I don't know anything that brings more security to your family than for dad to be a man of prayer. I can remember as a little boy, we, we'd have some bad storms sometimes where I live. And, uh, and I, I can remember when those, when those horrific storms came up, I mean thunder and dark clouds and then suddenly lightning everywhere. You didn't know where it was going to hit. And we, we lived in a little converted army barracks. And I, I remember one time lightning struck and, and um, the fuse box, this was before uh, um, the, the kind of things we have now, the toggle switches and so forth. You had fuses. Anybody remember those? The fuse box for our house was in the kitchen. And uh, when, that, when that lightning flashed and the thunder struck, a ball of fire just came right out of that fuse box and rolled all the way across the floor. Fortunately, we got it out before it set the house on fire. <laughs> a tremendous storm, just frightening. And I, but I can remember that many times what would happen, my dad would just stop and, and say, well, let's pray. And my dad would talk to God. And, 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 and as a little boy, just, I could just tell my daddy knew God. 
he knew who he was talking to. And I, I just, my fear would leave. I, I'd just be, I could go on playing, doing whatever I needed to do because I knew that my daddy had a direct line to the one that rules the storm, the one that rides on the circles of the earth, the one that holds the, uh, the earth in the palm of his hand, who meted out the waters with a span, who is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty, the omnipotent, the omniscient, the omnipresent. <laughs> Hallelujah. God. My dad would talk to God. And I just, listen, there's nothing more important than being able to pray and talk to God. I heard one time about a, an airplane that was in a bad storm. Any of you ever flown an airplane in a bad storm? That, that's, boy, that's miserable, I'm telling you. Uh, I, hate, I hate air turbulence. I, I, want it to be as, I want it to be as perfect as just sitting in your living room when you, when you fly. And I've been on some of those turbulent storms in, the, in airplanes in the sky and I get to thinking, you know, you're in this little old metal tube flying through this storm, and it's made by the lowest bidder. <laughs> That's not a comforting thought, you know. <laughs> but, but this plane was in a storm, and I mean, it was turbulence. The plane was dropping. You ever been in one? Boy, that, that's really frightening. People will scream, and, and uh, boy, you, you know, you'll see people pray that you didn't know, knew how to pray when planes start doing that. But uh, th this particular storm, there was a little girl about eight or nine years old. Every time the plane would drop like that, she'd say, "Wee!" and just wave her arms. Boy, she was just having the time of her life. You would have thought she was in an amusement park on a fun ride or something. And somebody asked a question and said, what in the world is with that crazy little old girl over there? And they said, her daddy's the pilot. <laughs> yeah. She, she was perfectly, she thought her dad was doing that on purpose, just giving her a thrill, you know. That, her dad was, let me tell you something this morning. If God is your heavenly father, I don't care what kind of storm you may have to go through in life. You, you might as well just throw up your hands and praise the Lord and just have a good time. Amen. Because he's going to get us to the other side. We can be confident in that. But he needs to be a man of prayer. He needs to know God personally. Second thing, he needs to be a man who cares. Saul's servant wasn't afraid to approach Samuel, although Samuel was a very popular man. He was not only popular throughout Israel, he was revered and respected, highly respected. Notice the servant said everything he says comes to pass. In fact, God said about him that none of his words fell to the ground. In other words, everything that Samuel prophesied come to pass. He didn't miss it. But he was dead on. He, he was, and he was respected and revered throughout all of Israel. And yet this servant of Kish was not afraid to approach the great man of God. I love that, don't you? I tell you something, something bothers me is when I... When I, see, when I see some of these preachers that, that and, and, not a, and I'm not making fun, and I'm, I'm certainly not trying to in any way speak disparagingly of men of God who love God, and God's given some great men some great ministries, and I respect that. But I've seen some people that, uh, that, that, that gets a little promotion, and, 
and they become so hot shot and they get all their armor bearers around them and you can't get close to them. And if you've seen people like that, 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 something about that just doesn't, I mean, children could come up to Jesus. Amen. Lepers could come up to Jesus. Listen, there's something wrong when you become unapproachable. But some men get a little position and they, they, they think they're, you know, up there. They just, let me tell you something. We need to care about people around us. In fact, you ought to care a lot more about people than you do stuff. Because you're going to leave us stuff behind. But we're going to live with people eternally. Amen? So we need, we need to care. Let me give you three things we need to really care about as men of God. First of all, we need to care enough to give some time. Time is so important. Let me tell you, money is not more valuable than time. In fact, you can almost say that time and money are, are synonymous. Because Don't you go to work and work so many hours, you get so much money for each hour that you work? So really, money is a representative of your time. But, but time has a greater impact on those around you than money does. Let, 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 let's, let's say, for example, let, 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 me just, let, let, me, let me just use this young man right here on the front row. Let's just say, for example, I, I've, I don't know anything about I'm, you. You look like you're well taken care of and you're well fed and everything. But, but, but if that was not the case, if he was hungry and didn't have money to buy any food, uh, and I just shoved him a $20 bill and said, here, go get you some food. He'd probably, he'd probably be glad for me to give you, be glad for me to give you a $20 bill. I figured you would. Uh, he, he, he would be, he'd be glad for me to do that. But let me tell you, I, that $20 bill would not be as valuable to him as it would be if I would give him $20 worth of my time and fed him and blessed him. You see what I'm saying? Listen, listen, men, don't, no, money is not everything your family needs. Now, they need you to provide for them. That's part of our responsibility. But provision is more than just dollars and cents. Provision is more than just bringing home the bacon. Pr provision. We need to give our family time. There's nothing more important than giving them time. Let me tell you from experience, and you're going to be where I am someday. You'll look back and wish you could get some of that time with your kids again. I know sometimes your kids are they're on that last nerve and they're jumping up and down on it. And, 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 and you, you just wonder if you're going to survive. And, uh, <laughs> but you will. You'll survive, and there'll come a day when you'll be wishing that you could get them back, even if they were jumping up and down on that last nerve, just to have some more time. So take the time while you have it. Care enough about them to give them some time. Time is so important. It's valuable. Now, I know, comparatively speaking, people... Uh, I, there, there was a, years ago when we were down on Crawford Avenue, there, there was a lady, she wasn't a member of our church. She was a member of another church on my district. I have a district of churches that I oversee. And, and uh, she would call me a, a lot. And she, it was always to complain about her church. And she, she used to, uh, she called me one morning at 1030. We're talking 1030 in the morning. And when I answered the phone, here's what she said. 
Did I wake you up? <laughs> now, you, you don't know what that did to me. I, you know, I had to pray over that and forgive her and repent because that irks me because I'm an early riser. And, uh, and <laughs> she, she also called me one morning at 3.30. And she said, did I wake you up? I said, no, ma'am. I had to get up and answer the telephone anyway. She said, I just called you because the train woke me up and I need somebody to pray for me that I go back to sleep. And I said, well, I'll be glad to pray for you, but who's going to pray for me so I can go back to sleep? <laughs> but time with your family is important. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have to spend time. It's so valuable, so valuable. Second thing, a, a man of God who really cares needs to care enough to live right. You need to care enough to live right. I'm, 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 I'm going to say this. I'm not trying to be hard, but I'm just telling you the truth. If you're not man enough to discipline yourself to live right, you don't love your family. Because they're looking at you as an example. And you need to care enough about your family to do what's right. I've heard people say, don't do as I do, do as I say. No, they're going to do as you do. So it's important that we care enough about our families to live right and to be a, a, a good example before them. Notice the servant of Saul said about the man of God, Samuel, he is an honorable man. Protect that integrity, men. Protect your integrity. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't, 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 just, just don't live according to the principles of this word right here. And you'll be a man of God and a godly example of your children. I'll come back to this in just a few minutes, but care enough to tell the truth. Care enough to tell the truth. Amen. There's, my dad didn't leave me much money, but I can tell you one thing. My dad left me a godly example for the last 40 years of his life. He lived for God, and he was a man of his word. I mean, he did what he said he would do, and that made an impression on me. You need to be a man of prayer. You need to be a man who cares, and finally, you need to be a man who shares you need to be somebody that, that is generous and giving. People who just live for themselves live in a very small world. They, there, there's some people that just, that's all they care about is what they can get, and they just want to get it for themselves and just, just hold it in. That's a miserable way to live, and that's a terrible way to train your family. Because if they grow up greedy and thinking life is just about the stuff that you can get, they don't realize it. They're going to leave that stuff behind. They're going to leave that stuff behind. You're going to die one day. Last time I checked, death rate's still 100%. We're all going to. It is appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Much more important than this stuff it, it, teaching, teaching them to be generous with what they have, to give, to bless, to bless others. Live to be a blessing. That's the happiest life you can live.
when you can be a blessing. And I'll tell you something else. God will bless you as you bless others. When you, when you live in such a way, you put God first in your giving and you share and you bless other people, God just has a way of pouring that right back up on you. So teach your children to share. I, I read this little poem several years ago. Maybe you've heard it. It said, I had a little tea party today, one afternoon at three. It was very small, three guests and all, I, myself, and me. Myself ate the sandwiches while I drank all the tea. Twas I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. <laughs> a lot of people live like that. Everything for them. Their philosophy of life is get all you can and then can all you get and then sit on the can. Just, just me. Just get it. Pull it in here. Pull it in here. Pull it in here. Pull it in here. <laughs> and then you're going to die and you can't take it with you. And then your family's going to fuss and fight over it. Yeah. <laughs> not all of them. Now, I don't, I'm not trying to say that everybody's like that. But I have seen more families get split up and hurt feelings that go on for years and sometimes for the rest of their lives over some stupid something that mom and dad had when they died and they wanted it. And I'm telling you, folks, I just can't think of anything on the face of this earth that's worth splitting your family and hurting feelings and saying hard things and fussing and fighting over good night. Give it away. Amen. Just, just, I heard one, I heard one guy say that he's been sitting down with his financial advisor and he's trying his best to get everything situated. He's trying to figure out about how long he's going to live. And he said, my goal is to live where I spend my last dime right before I die. Now, I'm not trying to get you to do that. In fact, there, the, the Bible even speaks complimentary of people who are good stewards and who do well and who are able to leave an inheritance not only to their children, but to their children's children. God's not against that. You understand what I'm saying? But don't make getting that stuff the priority of your life. Teach, teach your children and live in a, in a demonstrative way, showing your children the blessing. If you're able to leave them millions of dollars, let them, let them receive that knowing how to use it to build the kingdom of God and to bless the kingdom of God. Because you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Amen? You can send it on ahead. When you give to build the kingdom of God, to bless the people of God, to reach souls for Jesus, you're laying up treasures in heaven where moth doesn't corrupt, dust doesn't get to it, the thieves can't break through and steal it, and you'll have an eternal reward that'll just keep giving dividends and dividends and dividends 10,000 years from now. Praise God. So be a man who shares God will bless those who share as well as those who care and be a man of prayer. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. I told you I'd come back to that uh, point about your integrity, about telling the truth and so forth. I read this story many years ago and really made an impact on my life. True story. 
man had three sons and the boys wanted a dog and daddy never did buy him a dog and said he couldn't afford it but one day the boys found a dog wandering in the neighborhood and uh, boy they just they of course started playing with the dog enticed the dog to follow him home and Boy, they just claimed the dog. They said, Daddy, we got to have this dog. They loved the dog. It's a beautiful dog. Obviously a pretty expensive dog. Solid black. Had a, it just, just a beautiful, beautiful dog. But it had a kind of a unique, right, right in the middle of his back, that beautiful black coat that that dog had. There was about four or five very distinctive white hairs. A couple of days had gone by with this dog at the house and dad saying, you know, we need to try to find out who owns this dog. And they saw in the paper, lost dog, told the dog's name, described the dog and mentioned those distinctive white hairs on the back of that dog. Dad said, boys, that, that dog belongs to one of our neighbors right here in our neighborhood. And they said, oh, Daddy, please, please, Daddy, please, Daddy, let us keep that dog. Let us keep that dog. Let us keep that dog. And so Dad sat down with his boys. And very carefully, they separated out till they got to each one of those white hairs and pulled those hairs out from the skin so there'd be no trace of them at all. Sure enough, in a day or two, the family that had lost the dog heard that these folks had a new dog at their house, and they knocked on the door, and they said, we lost a dog, and they held up a picture of the dog and said, perhaps you know something about it. No, no, we don't know anything about it. They said, well, we heard you got a new dog. He said, well, yeah, we do, we do, and, and could we see him? And the dog came out, and the dog obviously recognized his, his family and just rushed to them and everything. But the man said, wait a minute, said, I saw your notice in the paper and said, you said that your dog had four or five very distinctive white hairs right in the middle of his back. He said, check, check our dog. That's, that's, not, that's not the same dog. That's not your dog. And they checked it very carefully. They said, well, I guess we're mistaken. They went on their way. Here's what the dad said many years later. The dad said, we kept the dog, but I lost my sons. We kept the dog, I lost my boys. They had no more respect for the integrity of their dad. They saw their dad as a liar, as a cheat. They didn't believe in dad anymore. Kept the dog. They lost the boys. How many times that story could be repeated in the lives of people? I've seen men with great regret They'd give anything if they could go back and live life over again. 
can't do it. Can't do it. I don't know what your situation is today. You may be standing here and you say, Preacher, I'd love to spend time with my kids. I can't. You don't understand the, what the court said and what the papers say. And I only get this much time. And I, I, don't, I can't spend the time that I would like to spend with my family. I don't know the circumstances and situations that you may be dealing with. I know one thing. There's not a court, there's not a judge on the earth that can keep you from praying for your family. You can be a man of prayer. You can be a man of God. We sang earlier about what a good, good God we have, what a good, good father we have. Let me tell you, this good, good father that we have cares about you. And he is a restorer. He is a reconciler. God can do things you never dreamed possible with your situation. If, if, if you've fallen short, and all of us have, we've all made mistakes. We've all fallen short along the way. We're not, none of us have reached perfection yet, believe me. But be quick to repent when you've missed it. And if you missed the mark in your situation, this morning would be a great time to just repent and ask God to forgive you and ask your Heavenly Father who really cares to begin to orchestrate and bring things together and move in your behalf to bring reconciliation and give you another chance and another opportunity. You say, Preacher, you believe God can do that? I know God can do that. Amen? There's nothing too hard for God. God can do it today. God can do it today. God can do what man can't do. God can reach to them where you can't go. Your prayers can get to them today. God can draw them. God can make up the difference if you're willing to let him. But you got to step up and say, I want to be a man of God. Surrender to him. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're standing here today, and, and this is all ages, I don't care what your station in life is, where you are, even you young guys, this morning would be a great opportunity for you to commit right now that you're going to live in such a way that someday when God blesses you with a family, you're going to be a, you're going to be a good father. You're going to become a man of God this morning and begin to bless other people. If, all over the building. I want every man in the house that's willing to say, Preacher, I want to be a man of God. Many of you are. I'm not, I'm not trying to accuse anybody of not being. Many of you are godly men, and I thank God for you. But you say, I'd like to recommit to that today. I'd just like to say, God, help me to see it all the way through. I want to be a man of God all the way to the end. If you, if you want to be a man of God, I want you to just come and stand with me here for a closing this Father's Day all over the building. Preacher, I want to be a man of God. If you're unsaved, this would be a wonderful opportunity for you to invite Jesus into your heart while we pray. Just open your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart. I want to make you the Lord of my life. Believe me, He can help you with that today. He can do it. You can, he can do it. He can do it.
A lot, of, a lot of you didn't have a good example as a father coming up. There again is where you need to be a man of prayer. Let God help you with that. My dad didn't have a good example. My dad, my dad left home when he was 12 years old. And the blood was squashing in his shoes as he walked from a beating that he took from his daddy. An abusive dad. Didn't know how to be a dad. He didn't have an example. Forty years of his life was wasted in sin. But when he came to Jesus, God taught him how to be a good dad. God taught him. My dad was a man of prayer. He was a man that cared. My dad was a man who shared. My dad was a giving man. And I was fortunate to have that in my life. God can help you this morning. You, you, regardless of what kind of situation you came out of, don't let the situation you came out of hold you bound. You don't have to repeat the sins of the previous generation. Amen. So I'm so glad to see these young men standing here today. Praise God. Man, drive a stake in the ground today and say, this is where I'm going with my life. Make up your mind now. God can keep you from those terrible things. Praise God. Let's pray, and you just open your heart to God, whatever you need. Ask God to bless and help you today. Those of you that are standing in the audience, would you just stretch your hands this way as we pray? Father, we thank you for every man in this building, young and old, and everybody in between. I thank you for the sincerity of hearts that have stepped forward today and said, I want to be a man of God. Father, I pray that you will help us today. Help us today. Don't let the devil weight us down with regrets from the past. Lord, help us to go out of here today with joy in our heart, a spring in our heel, saying, I'm going from here forward. I can't do anything about yesterday, but I can do something about today. I can do something about tomorrow. I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to live with integrity in my life. I'm going to bless others. If you don't have children of your own, say, I'm going to reach out to others. Many of you are empty nesters. You have a great opportunity now to be a blessing to somebody else's child, to come alongside and encourage and nourish and uplift. Bless them today. And Lord, help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Give God some praise this morning, will you? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord.